Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hello. Welcome back to the Modern Girl Podcast. Welcome if this is your first time joining this amazing little tribe and family that we are creating. I am so happy that you are here with us today. And I am so excited about this conversation that we are getting into today with my guest, Katherine Reiner. I actually recorded this earlier in the year and loved talking with Catherine, loved this conversation so much and everything that she shares in this conversation. And I can't really explain it. There was something that I was feeling into after we recorded. I was just listening to my gut and I knew it wasn't the right time to release this for whatever reason that might be. So I was just trusting my intuition and my instincts and just being patient with uh, releasing this episode. And in the past couple of weeks, I've had so many conversations with people in this community about health and healthy eating and raising intuitive eaters. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who are considering having families soon. I have a lot of friends who have babies that they're raising and who are just influential in kids' lives in one way or another, whether they're teachers or whether they're aunts or big sisters or whatever role they might be playing in a person's life who is creating a relationship with food. And I thought, okay, this is the time. This is the time to release this conversation because it just seems like something that people are craving. And I could not think of a better person to introduce the concept of building healthy families, how to do that in a really nourishing, sustainable way, how to raise intuitive eaters, how to be amazing role models for kids in our lives and Catherine Reiner is going to be sharing all of this wonderful information regarding this with us today, as well as her personal story. We talk about Catherine's personal body image. Of course, she she shares her story and her incredible journey and how that really shaped her own unique relationship with food. We also discuss distinguishing disordered eating from sustainable health habits, which is quite confusing in the current climate that we are in right now with wellness culture. Uh, We also talk about why we fear sugar as a culture and how to create a neutral relationship with sweets for yourself and your family, what food habituation is and why it's so important for cultivating a peaceful relationship with food. Also how to get started with the process of food habituation if you are just learning about it for the first time. We also talk about why removing the scale is so powerful, plus practical ways for measuring health long-term, how families can come together to create healthy relationships with food and body image. We get into joyful movement, nutritional adequacy, practical steps for navigating BMI, plus height and weight when visiting the doctor at any age. And I know this is a common question for a lot of parents out there who are navigating this with children, of course, but also just for yourselves. So, I mean, if that doesn't tell you what a robust, uh, robust chat we had, I, I don't know what will. We cover so much in this conversation and I am so excited to share it with you and for you to be able to meet Catherine, get to know her and her incredible expertise, her personal story and 
and just be with us today. Let me tell you a bit more about Catherine before we jump in. Catherine is a master's level educated pediatric dietitian living in St. Louis, Missouri. She has 14 years of experience working both in her community and at a local U.S. News and World Reports nationally ranked children's hospital. In 2016, she opened her private practice, Healthy Kids Nutrition, LLC, providing compassionate, individualized nutrition therapy to families. In 2019, Catherine trained with Evelyn Triboli, a co-author of Intuitive Eating, and became a certified intuitive eating counselor. Her mission is to help parents and kids have a positive relationship with food so everyone can feel happy, healthy, and confident around the table. Love Catherine so much. I know you will too. I hope you enjoy our chat today and learn so much and just feel seen and heard and accepted wherever you are in your own personal journey, as well as any potential desire you have in influencing others around you and how you show up and can demonstrate a um, really beautiful, healthy relationship with your own self and your relationship with food. If you want to leave a review, that is one of the best ways that you can support this podcast and just lean into this community even more. As I said before, this is becoming just a, just such a special, empowered tribe that is really making waves and creating change. And I am just so grateful for all the reviews that everybody has left so far. When you leave a review on iTunes, it really helps to get the message out to more people. It helps to bring this podcast up in other people's feeds. And when that happens, other people can really get to know these incredible guests that we have on. And it helps raise awareness around healing our relationships with food, our body image, um, dismantling diet culture, and all of these stigmatizing conversations that we are here to change the tune around. So thank you for your support. You'll find everything that we talk about linked in the show notes today, all of the ways that you can get connected with Catherine and involved in the work that she's doing, as well as everything that we have going on in this community. If you haven't grabbed the free intuitive eating workshop, you'll find that in the show notes, as well as a link to book a complimentary consultation with me for one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do have just a couple of spaces opening up in the next coming months. So if you are looking for individualized support uh, and you want to just see if we would be a fit in working together and also get some clarity around your own relationship with food and your body image, that is the best way to take the next step. Book a call. It's completely free. You and I get on the phone and I just listen and also provide feedback from what I'm hearing you. And then we decide what the best next step is for you, whether that's coaching or uh, perhaps another referral, if we both feel like coaching is not the best fit for you. All right, my love. I am so grateful for you. Truly. I love that you're here, love being with you. And I am so glad that you're getting to meet Catherine in this conversation today. Please enjoy, take care of yourself and have a great rest of your week. Katherine Reiner. Hi. So nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Caitlin. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I am already just thinking about all of the possible things that we're going to talk about, but I'm also trying not to put the cart before the horse, but I just love everything that you're doing. And I know this is the first time we're sitting down and getting to know each other too. And so my curiosity is just like brimming. So thank you so much for your time and, and for being with us today. Are you ready to dive in? I am, I am, yes. Okay, cool. So the first question that we always ask everybody is your first body awareness moment. So can you paint, a picture of what that looked like for you your your first body awareness moment in that mo in that it was the moment that you realized hey I'm in a body and this means something in the world that I'm living in yeah so you know I think for me um it wasn't a specific moment in my life but but definitely a 
specific time in my life. Um, you know, not, not just one event, but just, you know, kind of, um, you know, all the things that happen when you're in sixth and seventh grade, you know, when I reflect back on this, I think that was really the time, um, where I started to notice, uh, my body, um, and, and how it fit into our world and, and the world of diet culture that we live in. Um, the school that I went to um, in sixth grade, you wore um, this jumper uniform. And then in seventh grade, you were in the upper school and um, you switched to uh, a skirt with a polo. Um, and I think I was really just growing, um, but I remember feeling very self-conscious in those uniforms um, and that, you know, as the school year progressed that maybe they didn't fit um, as well as they did at the beginning of the year. And I, I felt really self-conscious about that. Um, and I think, you know, just at that age, I was starting to learn that, you know, certain foods are perceived to be good and others are perceived to be bad. Um, you know, that the thin ideal is, um, you know, something I became aware of. And I think that's also when I, I started body checking, um, which I didn't even really know was a thing um, until much later. But all of those feelings, um, you know, I think I carried with me until high school. And I started dieting um, when I was, I think about 15. I remember um, going to Weight Watchers with my mom. Um, she was very compassionate and very well-meaning, um, but that's when my dieting began. And, um, you know, I now know, of course, that dieting is disordered eating. Um, of course, didn't know that at the time, but, you know, I carried all of those um, disordered eating behaviors with me, you know, through high school, through college and even grad school, um, you know, and I, uh, that, that's, you know, uh, sparked my interest in nutrition, of course. And so I went to school to be a dietitian and, uh, you know, <laughs> I love my field. I absolutely do. Um, you know, I, I went into nutrition because I felt like it, you know, can help everyone. Um, but, in my early career, I actually went into pediatrics, which I think it is such a blessing. Um, I never really was, you know, promoting, a, you know, weight loss per se. In pediatrics, you're really focusing on growth and weight gain. Um, you're trying to help families navigate maybe, you know, some medically complex situations. And, um, you know, so much of my career was, you know, on growth. Um, but I did enough outpatient counseling that, there was some, you know, weight loss counseling there initially too. Mm. Um, but fast forward, I opened my private practice four and a half years ago and I knew, um, going into it that I, uh, didn't want to focus on weight. It was really cognitive dissonance where I, I just, I didn't know why I, but I felt really uncomfortable weighing kids and putting, you know, a lot of focus on weight. I really wanted to focus on, um, health promoting behavior changes and, and just how nutrition can help us feel good. Um, anyway, I eventually, of course, you know, with all of the learning you want, you do when you open a private practice, you just, you know, you're kind of a sponge and soaking everything up. I, I, um, stumbled across intuitive eating. I fell in love with it and I, I've never looked back. Mm. Um, so yeah, starting in sixth grade is, is probably when that began. Um, and it really did shape my career path. I, that's such a strong story, Catherine. I appreciate how succinct you are with telling it. And I also have a million questions from everything that you just shared. Go, go right so, ahead. So you mentioned, I think it's really interesting that you start your story in sixth and seventh grade, which is a highly impressionable age as, as you know, and it, it tends to be the age where, most women who have come on this podcast kind of have their point of entry with some type of body uh, dissatisfaction, right? So it makes sense to me. And one of the one of the things that you mentioned that I'm curious about is the body checking. So knowing what you know now, 
can you explain to everybody who's listening, what is body checking and what, what were some of the body checking rituals that you were doing back then that you now realize in hindsight was kind of um, amplifying this disordered behavior? Yeah. So, um, and I don't know if, if you've had a, a similar experience, Caitlin, but I felt like when I um, discovered intuitive eating and, you know, read the book and, and, you know, studied with Evelyn um, Triboli, I had several aha moments. Um, and oh, that yeah. was one of them. I mean, it was like they were in my head. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know I was doing it and that it had a name. Um, you know, but essentially body checking is when you are, you know, in a, in a room with a group of people and you are comparing your size to the other people in the room, um, you know, and whether you're, you know, in a smaller body or a larger body compared to those other people. Um, and that can really shape how you feel about yourself. Um, so I think I did that starting in sixth or seventh grade, you know, until I, um, you know, became a certified intuitive eating counselor and really, um, you know, did all of the work to really address some of those thoughts. Um, but I, I think it, it was always in my subconscious. I didn't even know that I was doing it or that it had a name. So interesting. So in, from your lived experience, it sounds like it was, um, it was more of this external judgment, kind of like this comparison of what are they doing? What am I doing? How do we look? How do we compare to each other? Am I hearing you? Correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That is really interesting because I, I totally know what you mean. I had a massive light bulb moment like that for myself when I started going through my own intuitive eating education as well too around body checking. And for me, it was less about that comparison and more about physical body checking. So like lifting up my shirt or measuring myself within my clothes or truthfully, like I buried this so deeply, but I remember I would have like tape measures when I was growing up and I would measure my waist and, and write down like my like stats and things like that. So it, it's just so, it's so interesting how this shows up in so many different ways. And for you, how did that how did that shape your relationships at the time? Um, you know, I, I think it was pretty neutral. I, I don't think it, um, you know, I think it was more my relationship with myself, right. Mm -hmm. Than necessarily with other people. Um, you know, and, and I will say I, even, you know, some of the, the body checking you did personally, you know, I know I did some of that as well. Um, you know, but, it, it wouldn't, I didn't think it necessarily affected, you know, my friendships or anything like that, but it was more or less, again, my relationship with myself. Which is like the most important relationship. Of course, of course. <laughs> it is, it is absolutely. So going to Weight Watchers with your mom were these like actual physical meetings, right? Yes. Yeah. So tell, tell us about that experience. What were you actually going through the process of doing Weight Watchers yourself or were you just kind of sitting back while mom was, was doing it herself? What was your experience? like? Um, I fully participated. I, you know, learned label reading. I learned, um, you know, how to measure portions, how to track. Um, and I remember feeling so nervous going to those weigh-ins, um, you know, and, and that would shape, you know, how I felt about myself that day, you know, even though, or maybe even that week, you know, even though my body was exactly the same, you know, the moment I stepped, you know, from before I stepped on the scale till after, right. I mean, nothing changes in that second, but there's just, you know, that tremendous, um, feeling of, you know, being disappointed or happy with whatever number you see. And so I was all in, um, you know, and then I, I did it on and off for years. Um, and again, I think it really kind of, you know, taught me various, you know, disordered eating behaviors, um, where I was trying to, you know, be a smaller size as if that, you know, was going to change anything. Can you share some of the disordered eating behaviors? I, I actually don't know if we've ever had a conversation like this on the podcast. And 
I know that some people bristle when they hear disordered eating because it, it is somewhat of a confusing term in our culture right now when in mm-hmm. fact there are like majority people are actually engaging in disordered eating. So if you don't mind just transparently, what, what were some of the things in hindsight you can kind of look back and say that was absolutely disordered eating. And I'd love to have a, like a deeper conversation about this and expand on it. Just, you know, yeah, abs- from your experience absolutely. Too. yeah. So, um, <laughs> the thing that comes to mind, um, and I just, I wish I could go back and give myself a a big hug and say, why did, why did you spend your time doing this? Um, but I remember in college, um, I kept a spreadsheet of what I ate and then the different macronutrients, the calories. Um, I think I even tracked sodium just because, um, and I did that for a long time. And I, and I remember thinking, I wasn't trying to stay at a certain calorie goal, you know, that, you know, I didn't, I didn't worry if I, you know, ate more than what I, you know, quote unquote thought I needed. Um, I also tracked my activity and how many calories I thought I burned during that. Um, and I, I thought I was just paying attention. I thought I was just, um, you know, trying to make healthy choices when, really that, that was definitely restriction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't listening to my internal cues for, uh, hunger and satisfaction. And, you know, I, I was really focusing on external cues. And so, um, when I learned about intuitive eating and studied it, that was the memory that came to mind of something that really was quite disordered. I think that is a great, um, a, a great summary of disordered eating in, in terms of just identifying it from that place of external versus internal cues. And it, you know, really it, I'm sure it's very similar to, you know, some of the apps that are out there now, right. Where people just track what they eat. And I, I was I, just thinking that, yeah. You know, I started that with Weight Watchers, right. I was tracking what I was eating and I, I thought I was just making healthy choices and, you know, all of that time and energy that went into this spreadsheet, (laughs) you know, could have been going into something else. Um, you know, so, so it is similar to what, you know, maybe other people may be doing. Um, but that was really an aha moment for me, you know, again, with intuitive eating, how, you know, I spent years of my life focusing on the external instead of the internal. And to your point with, with Weight Watchers and just these apps now and everything, I, I, I'm curious how you feel about this. I, I feel like there's this huge sense of community too, as well as just like almost this competitive edge that really loops, loops people in to um, the cycle of tracking and, and sharing and just being a part of these different things. Did you feel like that at all when you were going through Weight Watchers at the time, like pre-apps and all of these things, but just being at the meetings? I know that you mentioned just the emotional roller coaster of um, almost like that internal competition of, did I hit my goal weight this week or did I not? And and everything that kind of went with that. But what was the community aspect like for you? You know, that's a really good question, Caitlin. And now that I think about that, I think I had a lot of shame. You know, I was a teenager in a room of um, adults and, you know, I felt like I had a problem or that there was something wrong or that, you know, I was trying to fix something. Um, You know, I I didn't walk around proudly telling people, hey, I'm going to these meetings or anything. I I think I had a lot of shame around it, really. Um, So so for me, there wasn't, you know, the community aspect that was helpful. you know, I, I wanted to go, you know, for sure, but I, the community didn't, um, have a positive impact on me. Why did you want to go? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess going back to, you know, being in, um, middle school and and going into high school, just that body dissatisfaction and thinking that I needed to lose weight. So that will just like that really strong will of I'll do anything to, to lose this weight, even at the expense of feeling that shame or that pressure. 
Right. Right. And thinking that it was the healthy thing to do. You know, I thought I was trying to help myself. Yeah. Let's talk about that because that kind of goes into this disordered eating conversation as well too. And this is where I have a lot of compassion for, for myself in hindsight and like all of those years where I have very similar experiences thinking that it was health promoting when also it was when it was like truthfully self-harming. I think a lot of people get wrapped up in this confusion of, I just want to be healthy and being in a culture that confuses that so much. Where do you, where do you see people in your practice right now really being met with that confusion the most? Um, you know, I would say a lot of times, um, it can be, you know, the teenagers, but, you know, even the the parents, right. You know, the, the parents, um, you know, want, uh, their, their child to, you know, be healthy, um, and, and to have a healthy relationship with food. And I always tell people, I, you know, I don't focus on weight. I focus on having a a healthy relationship with food, you know, but when I, when I dig a little bit deeper, you know, it really seems like it's, um, the whole family that I'm working with, right. It's not just one particular child per se, that it, it, you know, it's really kind of trying to help the whole family, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And <laughs> how did you, I, I feel like I'm jumping ahead, but since we're already talking about it, how did you reach that light bulb moment for yourself where you really realized, Hey, I, we have to focus on the whole family here to really make a, um, a collective shift. So one thing that I do that, um, I feel like, uh, really is, the best way to help, you know, my families is um, I will often work with just the parents, especially if they're calling me about a younger child, um, where I feel like the best way I can help them um, is not including the child in the conversation at all, right? So if maybe they're seeing, um, you know, that their child is sneaking food or, um, you know, the, the parents have a lot of questions about nutrition and and, and they want to they want to help, you know, it's very well-meaning and they want to, um, you know, set their kids up for having a healthy relationship with food. And so they don't really know what to do. Um, and so a lot of times I really am just working with the parent. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, leave the, the child at school, um, in, in the pre COVID world, right. Don't, 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 um, you know, bring the child to come and talk to me about nutrition, you know, since the parents are the ones cooking and shopping and, you know, they really, you know, control a lot of that narrative, you know, I really enjoy working with just them. Um, if it's an older, you know, teenager or young adult, uh, and they have questions and they want to reach out, then, um, then I'll work more directly with the teenager. Um, you know, but those younger kids, I find it most helpful to work directly with the parents only. I love that. What, what are some of the trends that you're seeing right now, Catherine, in, in terms of just the cultural shifts with teenagers and, and younger children too, whether it's behaviors from the the kids that you're actually working with, if they're old enough or their parents, like what are some of the the diet trends or kind of the diets in disguise, more of that disordered eating um, under the guise of health that we've kind of been referencing up until now, what are some things that are, are kind of reoccurring for you in conversation? I think the biggest thing that comes to mind right away is, um, sugar, you know, people have a lot of fear around sugar and, um, you know, thinking that if they let their kids, you know, eat it, that they won't know when to stop. Um, you know, so really trying to help them, um, understand food habituation, um, you know, helping parents, uh, you know, have that structure of Ellen Satter, if you're familiar with her, where, yes, you know, okay, yeah, so, you know, the parents decide, you know, what food they're going to offer, when and where they're going to offer it, and then really, it's up to the child if and how much they're going to eat, um, 
you know, but, but sugar intake seems to be, um, something that's come up many times, um, recently with families. And I don't know if it's, you know, COVID and just being home more, um, or the holidays, uh, but that seems to be something that I've, um, heard over and over again. Do you think that's, do you like personally and professionally, do you think that that is a reflection on the parents fear and and their fear of sugar that they're more or less projecting on their child or do you feel like it's more of this cultural narrative that we've perpetuated generationally around like don't give your kids too much sugar um or like where do you feel like that's coming from in your opinion i i can immediately think of um you know clients where both has been true where you know the the parent, you know, has relayed some of their, um, you know, kind of binge restrict, uh, cycle, um, patterns with, uh, you know, certain, certain foods. And then in other family, I think, you know, maybe it, it really more is just kind of the, the culture, um, you know, where, where people hear that, like, you could be addicted to sugar or mm-hmm. things like that, you know? And so I, I think it's both, it could be the parent's own relationship with food, but I think diet culture itself is really very powerful. Um, and even if a parent hasn't struggled with that in the past themselves, they very much so could be influenced by the messages, you know, from the world that we live in. I, I totally agree. And sugar is, has been under the microscope for the past, gosh, I don't even know, especially the past five years. There's just so much fear around sugar. I I mean, I hear this all the time from my own clients and I don't, I don't work with that many parents and children. So this is a really interesting perspective. And just in terms of parents or, or people who are thinking about becoming parents or anybody who's listening who has their own fears around sugar right now, can you break this down for us? Why, why are people afraid of sugar? Why, why do people feel addicted to sugar? What's kind of the, the zoomed out version of what's creating this for everybody right now? I think it's just diet culture in in general. I think, you know, the fad diets um, of the last, have really, you know, demonized carbohydrates and sugar is a carbohydrate. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, everybody wanting to, you know, be quote unquote healthy. And I think it's just our culture. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think marketing plays such a big role in this as well too. Um, you know, just in terms of sugar-free and all of these things like reduced sugar and all the language, I feel like we've just kind of created a new vocabulary that demonizes sugar. Um, I always think of the the concept too of like, it's interesting if it, and I'd be curious about your opinion about this for kids too, but the things that we often overeat or find ourselves binging on are typically the things that we're restricting too. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And so, yeah, just, you know, having adequate exposure to those, those foods um, is so such an important part of being able to be neutral around them. So not just our parents being emotionally neutral around food, um, you know, but if they can do that, then they can teach their kids that um, behavior as well. Mm -hmm. So I have a really specific example that was actually a question brought to my attention a few years ago by a parent. And I, I'd be curious how you would, um, how, how you would address this with somebody in your own practice, but let's just use, um, Halloween candy, for example, it could be Easter candies or, or whatever holiday is coming up where there just tends to be a lot of sugar in the house based on the season. So the question that was posed to me is, Hey, how do I, how do I not demonize this food and not make it like a fear food for my kid? But at the same time, how do I introduce it in our house when I know that like, they're just going to eat like eat in an excess and like get sick and I don't want to hide it. Like what's the relationship to have around these 
holidays where there are there is more sweets than than a normal day and this could kind of like go beyond the holidays too in, in your expertise but I, i'd be curious just how you you handle that with with families i love that question um because yeah i mean candy is available year round right it's not just Easter or Halloween, um, you know, it's in the store year round. And I think um, one of the best ways to really help families, you know, uh, navigate the holidays is, you know, to include those foods throughout the year, you know, whether that is, you know, putting some sweets in their child's lunch box or including it at snack time sometimes, you know, where it's, it's not this food that is forbidden and, and kept out of the home. Um, but then also the parents should role model eating it too. Right. So it just as parents, you know, may role model eating, fruits and vegetables, they should also role model, you know, eating sweets as well, you know, and, and having that um, neutrality around food, no matter what it is, I think is really, really powerful. So you want to have those foods available to your kids throughout the year so that it really is, um, you know, something that they get frequent exposure to. Um, which is the power of food habituation, right? Mm -hmm. So the more you have something, um, you know, kind of the more neutral you can become to it, right? So maybe initially a cupcake could be really exciting, but if you can eat cupcakes whenever, it may not be, you know, as exciting. And not that you're trying to trick yourself or your kids into never wanting them. You want, you know, to include those. Um, but by having adequate access, um, and frequent exposure, it, you know, can help, um, you know, really kids and parents tune into their themselves. And is that cupcake really going to be satisfying in the moment? Or could I eat it another time when it would be more satisfying? Mm -hmm. I, I love that so much, Catherine, just that suggestion of, um, normalizing these foods. And also it's so powerful, um, what you mentioned about just role modeling for kids too. And to your point, I could, I can absolutely see why working one-on-one -on -one with parents exclusively is, is so important for your work because I do, I mean, I can only imagine the, the fears that parents bump up against when they're doing this work, when their focus is on the child, you know, but really I would imagine that that these deeper fears are kind of like uncovered around food as well when you really get in there and start working with them as well too. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it is the whole family. Um, and, you know, working with the parents, I think, um, you know, addressing their relationship with food first can really um, help the kids in the long run. So let's go back to the concept of, of food habituation. This is really powerful, and especially as it relates to kids, but really for everybody as well, too. So can you give a, a very just specific example about what this would look like for somebody, maybe just using one food as an example? And um, you, I think you explained the concept of this really well, but if anybody is thinking like, how do I start doing this for myself? What would be the first point of entry for somebody who's curious and why would it be important for them? What are some of the benefits of, um, of adding this exercise into their life? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, using food habituation, um, to make peace with a certain food, um, can really help in your journey to healing your relationship with food in your body. And so, um, you know, maybe I'll give you the example of cookies. Maybe cookies is something that, um, you know, somebody may feel like they always overeat or that, you know, they, you know, can't keep them in the house because they'll, they'll eat them all. Um, you know, in reality, that exposure helps you, um, make peace with that food. So, you know, we just kind of came off the holidays. So if, you know, somebody's celebrating Christmas and, you know, there's a lot of Christmas cookies around, you know, initially that may be really exciting. Um, you know, you may find yourself eating them a lot, but throughout the Christmas season, you know, 
they actually become less and less desirable, right? So that you kind of get to that point where you can kind of take it or leave it. And yes, it may be delicious or maybe, you know, you're really not that excited about it. And it helps you um, decrease your anxiety around food and know that you can eat the foods that really taste good to you um, at that time and that that's okay. Mm. Yeah, that's so important. I, I I love that example. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I I also I, I also totally agree. I think there's this fear that we hold on to when we restrict food subconsciously or when we attach morality to foods in terms of things being good, things being bad. When we start to have that inner dialogue going on in our minds of, okay, I'll just have the cookie today and then I won't have any more tomorrow or all this week. And we start to play those, those mind games. And mm-hmm. it really does create this dramatic relationship with food. It's, and, and now that we're kind of talking this out too, I, I feel like this really uh, does a, a number on trust, self-trust too. And it's kind of like that idea of being in a partnership with somebody and starting to build that trust and a you know, at the beginning of a relationship, hearing I love you and getting that feeling and being so excited. And then afterwards, you know, saying it over and over and over and over again, it doesn't mean you love the person less, but the novelty has worn off around, around that as well too. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a great way to describe it. Um, you know, using something else for sure. Yeah. So in terms of, in terms of families and working with kids and families and all of these things, what are, what are some of your other favorite areas that you really like to support families with in terms of just creating a peaceful relationship with food? What are some, what are some things when they're on the table and you, you get to work with clients that, um, that really gets you excited and, and possibly conversations that you feel like just aren't being talked about a lot right now? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, being a new mom myself, I can recognize, um, you know, a little bit better, maybe how parents feel about their own body. Um, And, you know, maybe just some of the changes that they've experienced, Um, because being in pediatrics, you know, I mean, I work with newborns through young adults. And so, um, you know, being able to relate to parents uh, and to moms in that way now, I think is is really pretty powerful. And so um, I love talking about body respect and um, really being grateful for what our bodies can do. you know, I, I just think that's, that's a really fun to explore. What does that mean for you? I love the, the term body respect so much. How would you define it? Um, you know, I think it is, uh, you know, maybe it's not loving your body. Maybe it's not, you know, always feeling positive about your body, but it, it is always taking care of it. And so, you know, even if you have maybe, you know, you're having a, uh, you know, not, not the greatest body image day, you can still take care of your body and know that um, you're doing something really good for yourself. So, you know, whether that is, you know, adequately nourishing yourself throughout the day or wearing clothes that fit and are comfortable, um, you know, there's things that you can do where you really are showing yourself some respect. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And one thing that you mentioned earlier in our conversation too, that I feel, I feel like ties really nicely with this concept of body respect is health promoting behaviors. And I really, I really heard that when you said at the beginning of your practice, that's where your focus was rather than just weight loss and, um, the scale with your, with your patients and specifically kids. So, what are some health promoting behaviors that you really um, actively teach your clients and how does that relate to body respect? Um, You know, I think one of them is, uh, you know, finding joy in movement. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes people, you know, talk about exercise and, um, you know, I think there's just such a difference in those words. I always really 
try to encourage people to move in a way that is joyful for them. Um, of course, never talking about calories or, uh, you know, burning any, you know, you know, trying to get a calorie burn or anything like that, but just, you know, finding the joy and moving your body and, um, you know, what does that do for your energy level? What does it do for your sleep? Um, how does, how does, how does it even make you feel about yourself that you're taking care of your body by moving it in a way that brings you joy? Um, so I really like to talk about that, um, you know, for sure. Um, and then also the other part is just nutritional adequacy, you know, knowing that, um, you know, we need to eat throughout the day. We need to take time out of our day to nourish ourselves. And instead of trying to think about, you know, if we quote unquote should be hungry, right. Just listening to our bodies, um, mm -hmm. and knowing that some days we're going to be hungrier than others and, and that's fine. And so, um, you know, finding joy in movement and then, you know, nutritional adequacy, I think, um, you know, is really important for respecting our bodies. So important. I love both of those concepts and there, there's so much resistance that can be met with both of those concepts too, just based in the culture that we're living in as well. And just like what you said, I, I see this a lot with clients. I'd be willing, or I'd be curious to see what your experience is like too, but just that idea of, Hey, I'm hungrier some days and I'm not comfortable with that. Like what's going on. And just that inner dialogue that comes up when, when you do realize that you are hungrier. So when a client's struggling with that, how do you support them? What are some tools that, that you, that you use with them or, um, how do you guide them in, in that process of just navigating nutritional adequacy from a place of self-care and, um, and, and really just that compassion through like the culture that we live in with, with everything going on. Yeah. So I always try to ask my clients to, whenever they're reflecting on a, you know, a, a situation, um, to really do so from a place of, um, curiosity instead of judgment. Um, you know, so if they are feeling like they were hungrier that day and, you know, maybe they even ate something that, or more of something that, you know, they otherwise would have liked to, or whatever the situation is where they, they just don't feel like they liked the end result. It's trying to figure out like what we can learn from that, right? You know, did they uh, skip meals? You know, did they not get enough to eat for breakfast? Um, you know, had they moved a lot, you know, over the past couple of days where maybe their hunger level really was naturally higher? You know, like, what can you learn about the situation um, so that you can navigate it in the future. And, and again, from a place of curiosity and, and not judgment and, and without shame. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I'm there's, it's a concept that's not really reinforced in our culture. So it almost sounds countercultural, but I, I find that too. It's so important just having, having the space with ourselves to get curious and, and observe and gather that information, on a bio-individual level. Um, I, I want to shift gears for a minute, Catherine, because something is just, it keeps coming to my mind and I, I want to make sure that we talk about it if you're open to having a conversation around this topic. But one of the things that you mentioned that really struck a chord with me is at the beginning of your practice, really um, kind of going against the weight loss and, and pediatric model that was that's kind of being preached right now in the industry so in your practice and how you support clients and kids how do you how do you approach the scale with kids and families as well too because that's something that I hear about a lot um and even as a mom too just the scale and going to doctor's offices and really making sure that your child is not not falling into disordered habits because of that. And it, and it's not being reinforced in your family in a disordered way and um, weight in general, just having those conversations. How does that, how does that show up and how do you guide your clients through that? Um, yeah. So I think, 
you know, initially when a parent calls me, I, I right away tell them that I, I don't focus on, on weight. Um, and I don't weigh my clients at all. When we were meeting in person, um, pre COVID, I, I wouldn't even do it. Um, I mean, there were a few, you know, situations where maybe it was necessary for a toddler, but, um, in general, I was not weighing my, my clients and as part of my initial paperwork, I would always get a release of information to get a copy of the growth chart from the pediatrician, just to understand what the child's growth pattern had been and maybe what their genetic potential is for, you know, the curve that they're following. Mm -hmm. Um, but I never would address that. And I think I think my parents have been so grateful for that. Um, you know, I've had, you know, a couple of moms just say that it was so nice that they, um, you know, if, if again, this was maybe like an older teen that they were bringing to an appointment where that wasn't even discussed. Um, I, and I think that was really helpful um, in talking with parents privately without their kids. You know, I, I do suggest, um, you know, putting the scale away and challenging them to get comfortable with putting the scale away, you know? And uh, because again, you know, it all starts with the parents, right? So a, a child's relationship with food, you know, is, is significantly impacted by their, you know, a parent's own relationship with themselves and food and their body. And, and so if we can get rid of the scale with the parents, I think that also goes a long way. You know, if um, the kids don't even see it, uh, that can be something that, you know, families can do at home, um, you know, to, to help uh, prevent maybe that becoming an issue down the road. So, you know, both in my practice, when we were meeting in person, um, you know, I never made that an issue. And then I always encourage my parents to also, you know, work on that themselves and getting comfortable with um, not knowing what they weigh. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important for everybody, for anybody who's listening to this and just saying like, why is the scale something that, that should be avoided and how was this harmful? Um, how, how can you educate anybody who's kind of curious about that right now? Why, why is this important? Yeah. You know, I, th I think, um, two main reasons, you know, the first is, uh, we unfortunately put a lot of value of ourselves on that number, right? So if that number is higher or lower than what we think it should be, it, it impacts our mood for the day or the week, or it might even impact our, you know, uh, food choices or behaviors that, that day or week. Um, but the other big thing is, is that, you know, the number on the scale actually has very little to do with our health, our health. Um, you know, there's so much more, uh, that we look at, you know, whether it's, you know, mental health, uh, or, you know, physical health or, you know, you looking at, you know, blood pressure and blood sugar and cholesterol, and, you know, like there's so many other things that really actually, um, impact health, of course, social determinants of health that, you know, that could be a whole nother, um, probably podcast episode too. And so our weight or our BMI is just not a good indicator of our health. So, you know, it, it's not helpful information from that perspective, but then also in terms of our, how we feel about ourselves, it's usually really not very helpful there either. I can see so much pushback with this and, like I'm just having all of these visuals right now, just hearing you explain this of being a kid in the doctor's office, just staring at the BMI chart. And I remember, you know, being in middle school and high school and, and knowing that I had to get weighed and feeling so triggered around that. And, and of course, you know, when you're a kid, you're, you're growing, like you should be, your, your body is changing. Like that's what, that's what should happen. But just feeling that pressure of, oh my gosh, am I in the range? Is this, am I doing it right? Am I uh, so much worth and so much value attached to that? So, but it's also a part of our medical system too. And there's just so much confusion around that. And the BMI system is so flawed in general, but for anybody who, for any parent who's listening to this, who's thinking like, whoa, 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 what, how am I, how am I supposed to know if I need to be concerned if we're not measuring BMI? How do you have those, how do you handle conversations like that with parents in terms of the BMI chart and growth chart and all of those things? And are there any resources that, that you um, share with clients that you'd be willing to share here? 
So I always tell my, my parents that, um, I, I encourage them to talk openly with their, their pediatrician, um, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with calling in advance and saying, you know, that they, you know, don't want, um, you know, the weight and the height measurements, you know, to be a big deal, you know, maybe, mm. um, you know, th- to ask that there be no comment about that, right. Where, um, you know, certainly those measurements, you know, pediatricians need to know that kids are developing appropriately. So I understand why, you know, those um, measurements are taken, but, you know, just asking that um, to, that it is done discreetly. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, pediatricians can be open to, you know, they, they want to help their families too. And um, I think just that open communication is really key. So definitely reaching out, um, you know, to, to their providers to have that conversation in advance, I think can go a long way. Um, and then also to, you know, my older, uh, you know, young adults, you know, even just telling them that it is their right um, to ask not to be weighed, right? Mm-hmm. That it isn't necessary um, as part of their um, physical exam. Um, and so, you know, empowering them that they can make that decision, um, you know, once they're they're older. So, you know, I think uh, just even laying the groundwork or, you know, just kind of putting the, the buzz in their ear that, that um, they can be empowered to make those decisions for themselves and their family. I think that can go a long way. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, it's so helpful. It's a great actionable. And I hope that, I hope that we can have more conversations like this with uh, doctors and people in the medical field as well too, because to your point, I mean, health is measured in so many ways beyond, beyond the scale. And I don't know about you. I, I certainly was not getting asked questions around my stress and sleep and mental health when I was growing up. And so I, I hope that that's something that will continue to shift in these conversations just through the the medical community as well too. Sure. Yeah. Do you find that? Do you feel like that is something that is shifting right now just with the, um, the medical professionals that you partner with regularly, or do you feel like there's still a lot of work that needs to be done around that? Um, you know, I think, you know, with eating disorders being on the rise, I think, uh, you know, people are becoming more aware of, you know, what they say or how they say it, or, um, you know, just the impact that, um, a provider can have on, you know, shaping how, you know, a child maybe feels about themselves. Uh, but I can also think of some situations where maybe, you know, we do still have a long way to go. Um, you know, and even just thinking about myself, you know, I mean, I, just discovered intuitive eating a couple of years ago, but I've been a dietitian for 14 years. So, you know, just kind of having that compassion that we're all learning and evolving and, you know, trying to do the best with what we have and what we um, know at the time. So I, I'm hopeful that as, you know, more and more and more people learn about intuitive eating and, um, you know, helping families have a positive relationship with food and their bodies that, there'll be less emphasis on weight and the scale and the BMI chart. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll continue to, to move forward in that area. Mm, I hope so too. And I also love what you just said about compassion and self-compassion and yeah, especially parents. I mean, you're, you're seeing it firsthand, Catherine, but parents are almost always just doing the best that they can with the information that they have, as well as, you know, swimming in this culture themselves, trying to keep their head above water and doing their own work. And, and sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Right. And like you said, just being introduced to intuitive eating a few years ago, um, there's so much room for conversations around this and learning and curiosity. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you're in this space doing this work, educating and, um, supporting families. It's just so important. And I, 
I'm just so glad that we were able to have this conversation today too. There's so many amazing takeaways here. Thank you, Caitlin. Yes, I um, I loved you know getting the chance to talk with you, and I love what I do, and um, you know just trying to help one one family at a time. Awesome. So for everybody who's listening, where can they connect with you? Um, and also, who who would be the person to connect with you? I know that you mentioned you work with parents as well as kids as well too. But if anybody's listening, thinking, "Hey, like, am I the the right type of client that?" that would be a fit for her. Can you just elaborate on, on that a little bit as well too? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so my website is healthykidsnutrition.com. Um, on Instagram, I am at intuitive eating for moms and there's a, a period in, be- in between every word. So intuitive.eating.for.moms. Um, and I, uh, live and practice in Missouri, um, in St. Louis, Missouri. And I usually will have parents that reach out to me, um, initially. So even if it is their, you know, teenager, um, that I'll end up working with one-on-one, the parent usually, um, is who I set up that, you know, initial discovery call with just to share my approach and learn a little bit more about, you know, how I could help the family, um, or, or the, the teen. So initially it would be the parents, um, for sure, uh, is how I usually get started. Okay. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was super valuable and I just so appreciate everything that you're doing and what you're contributing to the world. Really. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Caitlin. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Stephanie Olea, our show manager, Shayla Anderson, and our incredible guest. If you want to stay connected and learn more about our guest today, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon.